Let's just kind of start and just have a real kind of foundation point. We're going to go through these six verses, and it's pretty straightforward. There is the first two section, the first two verses, which make a very clear s- statement, and then he's got three through five, which is a picture, and then you have this verse six, which is frightening, and just calm down. We'll get to that when we get to it. Okay, so, uh, but just to march straight through that is a little bit like making a list. And so in my own brain, I just make a list, and I'm thinking, okay, I got that, and I got that, and I'll get to this, and I'll figure out the, the pigs and the swine and the, the, the dogs later on. We'll figure out all that stuff. And so what we want to do is actually go deeper into this and not just say, am I judgmental or am I not judgmental, but God where are you drawing me to yourself in all of it? So if you get, if you get a little off here and there, if, I, if you feel like where is he going with this, we're marching through one through six, but it's gonna, we're going to get there. Here's what we need to understand as we step into it. Every single one of us, there's not a person in here that has not felt the, the hurt and the weight of people judging us. There's not a single person in here that's ever had this moment, that's gone through life and not experienced that in somewhere. The reverse is true as well. There's not a single person in here. There's not one of us in here that hasn't been guilty of doing that to other people. Each one of us have this in us where we're, we're judging folks, we're walking in this, and, and even without meaning to, we just step and we're, and we're like, yes, I, I just think that, and I think that. This is different than uh, being someone who evaluates. This is different than just having opinions, but this is where our judgmental heart kind of pulls us apart in this. Several years ago, there was a poll taken. It's interesting, a Christian research company did a poll of people who are not in the church, people who would not claim the name of Christ, and they asked them to describe their views on Christians. What are words that you would use to describe Christians? And so there was this big, massive word cloud. There was this massive list of words that they could choose from, and they got to pick all these words, and then the top words that came up might be a little painful. So I want you to, uh, to hear this with grace, okay? The top on the list of how Christians would be described by those not in the church, judgmental. Number one. I see some heads going up and down. That might be like, we recognize some of this. And guess what? Christians can be the most judgmental to other Christians. Number one on the list. Number two on the list in this was hypocrite. The top two words that non-Christians use to describe Christians, judgmental and hypocrite. Hypocrite. And if you're like me, I'm like, man, that doesn't, I don't feel like that necessarily describes me. I don't feel like that's me. I don't feel like that's really the people I know. I don't feel like that's the people that where I run with. And then my head goes to, uh, but I do know people who claim the name of Christ that are like that. And they're out screaming at funerals and yelling awful things at people. And they're wearing these uh, sandwich board signs that have these awful things written on it. And it says, God hates this and God hates that. And, and I can sit here real quickly and get to like, those people are super super judgmental. Those are the ones that are being described. And if you, if you can get to that spot with me, which is like, no, it's those people, I just want you to take a real quick diagnostic of your, heart, of your own heart and how we're being judgmental of that. And so it's easy for me to be like, no, it's that over there, and I do the same thing. 
I do the same thing in all areas of life. Some are, are big and some are small. Some are, are just, they come even without trying. I, I am as judgmental as anybody when if you're at the light in front of me and I'm trying to turn right and you're going straight. It's, it is like the darkness of my heart that comes out involuntarily. The other day I had a sweet mustache for like 30 minutes and my kids judged me super hard. It was painful. It got ugly fast. I was texting it to friends and getting positive feedback and then my kids got really ugly on me. It was, it was hurtful. It was hurtful. If I see that Longhorn sticker, I, I can't help it. I can't help it. And, and I'm a native Oklahoman. I'm a native Oklahoman. When I saw Katie limping off the other day, dark places in my heart came out. <laughs> Darkness. Darkness. There's stupid stuff, right? Maybe you've gotten really bent out of shape about whatever show is your favorite and how it ends or what's going on with all that stuff. Maybe it's a picture that you saw and you can thumb this up or thumb this down. And we like or dislike everything. And, and real quickly, we don't even notice that we're judging everything. Everything. It's the soup that we're in, and we just judge everything. And we think it's okay. Without even meaning to, we're just like, yeah, I judge everything, so I'm not really that judgmental. No, wrong. <laughs> wrong. Maybe it gets to stuff that is super serious, in, in which it's parenting, how we parent, how someone else is parenting, or politics what that person thinks or what this person thinks, and we instantly start creating this separation between people. We start having these areas in which we don't, uh, we're, we're not engaging with people, we're simply keeping that at a distance because they're those people and they think that thing. So how do we live passionately and faithfully in this culture that is, I mean, we're just naturally judging things. How do we live passionately and faithfully without being judgmental hypocrites walking through this? How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to, to be a part of these things? Jesus is talking through all of this sermon, every bit of it, about what life in the kingdom is like. What it's like to be sons and daughters of a good, good father who are not anxious, who are not struggling, who, who are not struggling with, with fear of, uh, of tomorrow or, or fear of money or fear uh, of just, you fill in the blank on that. How are we sons and daughters walking in this without all of these other things? How are we supposed to pray? How are we supposed to walk with one another? How are we supposed to deal with those that are difficult in our lives? How are we supposed to do those things? That is the Sermon on the Mount of what life in the kingdom is like for those who claim the name of Christ. And yet it's so difficult. These words aren't in a vacuum. They're not just some one-off over here. They're part of this entire stream of thought from five all the way through right here as we finish this, this sermon right here. We're talking through what this looks like, what this means. And so Jesus isn't just teaching us how to be better people how to be a nicer person, how to disagree well with others, how to get along and evaluate healthfully and, and do that. He's not just trying to teach us how to be a better person. He's trying to say, this is what life in the kingdom's like. It's not a, a far off one day. It's life in the kingdom right now. Jesus is actually making this, this logical argument full of like depth 
and soul and all of it. Josh last week talked about we're not these biomechanical just machines that are moving through life. We don't just plug in facts and then outcome results. That's not us. We, we're led so much by our heart in these things. And, and so Jesus is actually saying, yeah, he knows. He understands this. He understands that we're, we're humans. We have strong opinions. We have strong thoughts. We have all of these things. And yet all of that is to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. And so what makes us a disciple is not that we have cleaned ourselves up. It's not that we have made ourselves look better. It's not that you're in the right room at the right time of day. It's not that you have certain practices. Those are helpful. What makes us a disciple is what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done in our lives and the work that he continues to do in us. And so when we get to this verse, and we're, we're going to look right here at verses 1 and 2, read it in, through the lens of that. God is calling us to be his kingdom people right now. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured, it will be measured to you. Now, here's, here's what it gets me. Let's just like soak that in. We, you know this. This is if maybe even the first verse that you memorized. If you were like me, it was like Jesus wept. That was it. Number two, judge not lest you be judged. Don't do that. We all know this. You do not have to go to church to know judge not. Everybody talks about it. It becomes this like shield that we put up of like judge not, judge not, judge not every room I walk into. So that we step in and everybody knows uh, don't judge me. Don't jump in on this. You're judging me right now. You're judging me. You can tell I had a snow cone yesterday and my lips are like extra red. You can tell you're judging me on some of those things. I'm judging you. If you're attentive, I'm judging you. We're judging in all these types of ways. And yet what we want to do is be people who step away from casting these decisions on people. And that we step into saying, God, you've called us to be this new family. What does that look like? Our, our idea is not to be people without opinions. What God's calling us to is to stop trying to be God. Stop trying to be God in this. You see, not everything that happens, not everything that you do, not everything that I do is good. Not everything that happens is good. In fact, a lot of it is sin. It's sin. It leads to death. We're not to be the people who, who sit over everybody as a judge, jury, executioner. We're to be the ones who are sitting with the word of God and saying, God, work on us. Work in our hearts. And so dig into this with me. Dig into this with me. And let's go beyond just like big and small and some things that are ridiculous in that. Let me ask you a couple questions. How often are you more enraged by someone else's sin than you are convicted of your own? How often are you more bent out of shape by someone else's sin than you are your own? It's the yeah, but, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I know I have sin in my life, but it's not that bad. It's, I, I, I know this is a mess. This is a mess in an area. I acknowledge that, but it's not 
as bad as that was. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that person saying, look at that person over there. It's that, yeah, but how often are you more enraged by someone else's sin than you are at what God and grieved by what our own lives and our own sin? That is a humbling question that's wrecked me all week. Do you write people off? Do you write people off because they're different or look different? There's any number of areas that we can take this, right? There's certainly the area of like, do, we, do you act different around people who have a different skin color than you? When the person walks by in a hijab, what does that do in your heart? What does that do in your heart? Are we acting different around people who are different? Do we write people off in this? It's a question that we keep coming back to of like, people are different. And yet, how are we reacting in this? Do you refuse to forgive? And let's just pause right here. Do you refuse to forgive? How many faces came rushing right before your mind? Right there with that question. Do you refuse to forgive? Let's be honest. There are people that hurt us. There are people that have wounded us. There are some of those that are, are true and right and, and painful. And yet, do we refuse to forgive? Are there ways that we cut off people? That we cut people out of our life? Are there areas in your life in which you're cutting folks out because of something? If, these, if we're checking these boxes, and it just I'll be the first to raise my hand, I've checked all these boxes this week. I've, I've checked every one of these boxes, and I've been convicted and had moments in each space in which it's me. I'm guilty, Lord. I'm guilty of all of these things, every single one of them. It's not something that we can put off to someone else. It's all of us, each and every one of us. Judge not Judge not those around you. You see, when we judge people, we're creating this distance. We're putting a distance between uh, us and them, and we're setting them aside over here. And we're like, I'm not sure I want that in my life right here. And we're creating this distance. It also blinds us in so many ways to what is going on. And when we're judging those around us, we've moved, from a, a, we've moved into a them and those people mindset. Those people need to get their act together. Those people need to fix this. Those people need to do that. One of the things we try to do over the months of walking through the Sermon of the Mount now, Sermon on the Mount, is go back to the early church, go back to the, the church fathers, go back to these and, and learn from their examples and what they've walked through. We've tried to just step into that and we've gone way back and we've also gone to even more modern examples. One of those, one of the quotes that you've seen before is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his work on the Sermon on the Mount, he gives a quote talking about this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, and famously prisoner of war in a Nazi concentration camp, had this to say about us just kind of going through the motions, going through. And he calls it cheap grace. Read it with me. Like ravens, we've gathered around the carcass of cheap grace. 
And from it, we've imbibed the poison which has killed the following of Jesus among us. We've imbibed the poison. (laughs) You see, cheap grace is just trying to come and make ourselves look better. Just coming and making ourselves, try to clean ourselves up and, and make ourselves look better and, and, and look better, not just for ourselves and for God. God sees our heart. It's when we're just trying to make ourselves look better, it's for those around us. It's for those around us. And that is a poison. A poison that goes deep. We call it religion. And just going through religious motions doesn't save anyone. Here's this. The Bible actually speaks to this. It doesn't use the term religion, but we get these accounts uh, left and right. We get accounts of people just going through. You can check the list and say, I'm not judgmental. But if we're just checking lists, we miss the point because Jesus didn't die just to get us to check lists. He's calling us into relationship. And so we get this amazing story in, in Genesis, and everybody's heard of Adam and Eve, and we, we pay attention to what happened. Adam and Eve were created. They fell, then sin, and, and then they face judgment in this. And God comes to them in it and says, what have you done? And they look around. They kind of blame each other, right? There's a little judgmental happening, right, in that. And, and what we see before they're sent out of the garden God doesn't just throw them away, but the garden isn't there for them at this point. And what he does is he kills an animal and he covers them in it. He covers them in an animal. Now, picture with me for just a second this idea of they're now covered in a dead animal for the first time in history that this has ever happened. There's some weird looks that are going on back and forth. But think, do you think for even a moment they would ever forget that? God was making such an impression on their lives that is your sin requires a death. Your sin requires a death. They go on, they have kids. They have two boys, Cain and Abel. Uh, We're assuming some things. They raise these kids to understand certain things. There are those conversations. Why are we wearing animal skins? Why are we doing this? They understand, at least to some extent, what it means to worship. They don't have all the answers, but they have a lot of those answers. And they understand that they are to come and worship the living God. And so Cain and Abel come to worship God. And what do they do? They come, they, they come before it, and Cain comes with all that he can gather, everything that he can gather, all the best. It is the greatest edible arrangement of all time that he piles high and brings right before the Lord and then steps back and looks at his brother and says, look what I have brought to our God. And Abel comes with something not quite as pretty, and Abel comes with a sacrifice. He comes with a sacrifice and he presents it to God. And we don't know what was said, but you'd guess that it wasn't with the pride of like, look what I've done. And they understood something right then. They understood. Cain's offering was unacceptable. It's always unacceptable. It has always been unacceptable, and it will always be unacceptable to come with the best that we have to offer. 
it always and forever will come through a sacrifice. And so what happens? Cain looks at his brother, gets sideways on this, gets upset, starts feeling this, and ultimately kills Abel in this. Murders his brother because of what's going on. Religion is poison. It is poison just to go through and just try to clean ourselves up and just to act like we've got this. Judging is this like more hidden poison. It's religious. We do it because we're religious. We judge others because we're just walking in religion. But it is, it's a sneaky poison that doesn't show itself as easily. It doesn't show itself as just apparently. It, judging other people is like diet soda. It's like diet soda. It's the, the, the nice ingredient in diet soda that makes it zero or less than. It makes it all those things. It's the NutraSweet of religion. Nutrisweet, it's interesting because it's one of those things that we're like, hey, I'd like the supersized nachos and a Diet Coke. I'd like a Diet Coke. <laughs> we could raise a lot of hands in there. It's not just you. I'd like the supersized nachos and a Diet Coke full of Nutrisweet because that gives it all the nice taste, right? Except Nutrisweet is mildly addictive, potentially cancer-causing, and Here's what the studies show. Like, it might actually lead to obesity, the exact opposite of what we're trying to go for. The exact opposite. You see, when we're judging people, we think that we're sitting on this throne that's like, hey, you know what? This would be really good in your life. When we're, when we're, we're judging people, it's actually a poison that leads to more destruction. It probably won't help you lose weight, and in fact, it might kill you. It might kill you. So when the Bible tells us, when, and when Matthew tells us, judge not, lest you be judged by this same standard, it's actually making a really important point. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're walking in the kingdom if you're walking in these ways. Don't fool yourself. And then it moves right into verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Just pause right there for just a second. How would that even happen? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not just that we shouldn't judge it's not just that we shouldn't judge. Jesus immediately gives this picture that we are unfit to judge. We're not, it is comical. It is intentionally ridiculous, the picture that's being painted, that there's a speck over here in this person's eye, and with this massive log in our own eye, that we would even see that speck. Let alone be able to do surgery on the other person with it's intentionally ridiculous. It's not just that we shouldn't judge. It's that we are unfit. And why are we unfit? Because we're all jacked up. We're all more messy than we like to admit. We're all more of a wreck. We all have things in our life. We all have these aspects. And this isn't Jesus saying, stay away from it. This isn't Jesus saying, don't have opinions or, or even avoid the hard conversation. No, Jesus leans into these conversations. And Jesus again and again calls us to be people walking with one another. But it's our attitude and how we do it. 
It's our attitude and how we do it. He condemns, he condemns the activity and the lifestyle which just looks for the speck and doesn't recognize our own log and our own sin. In fact, he uses the word, he uses that word, came up number two on our list. He uses hypocrite in describing it. He says, you hypocrite. This is the only time in the sermon which Jesus is talking to those who would follow him and refers to them as hypocrite. Every other time it's to those outside, outside the church. You hypocrite. We're not to avoid these hard conversations. It's a gospel invitation. It's this gospel invitation for us to step into it. But it is, it is what do we do in the before during and after? What is our attitude in the before, during, and after of that conversation that makes all the difference? We're not to avoid it, but our attitude in how we do these things matters. Matters. And so we step into these things. We remember that Jesus didn't come just to condemn the world. In fact, John 3, 17 says he came not just to condemn it, but to save this world. To save this world. And we're, then we're told, in 2 Corinthians, we're told that we're not to be, we're, we're new creations. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation. But not just to be happy about that newness. You're a new creation and you've been given something. You've been given this ministry of reconciliation. It isn't just you're new. It's that you're new and you're to be about this reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus came to us. God's generosity in calling our sin, that great love in which he tells us that we're broken and messed up people, leads us to respond to him and then show that to other people. That's an enormous difference. That's recognizing our speck, that I, or our log in our eye, that I am in desperate need of a savior. I am in huge need of it. And how we respond before we talk to somebody, while we're talking to somebody, and after we, we share with somebody makes all the difference in whether we're coming with a judgmental heart or we're coming with a caring heart. You see, Jesus' standard for a relationship is high. It is high. But we're not, to put, we're not to be in this relationship as just someone's judge. They don't need us to be their judge. We're not there to be their judge and to sit back and say, this is good and this is bad. That's not our role. We're also not to come as the hypocrite which says, you're terrible and I'm not. That's not our role. We're to come as this brother or sister who steps into these relationships and says, friend, because I love you, I need to tell you something that's hard. Because I love you, I need to tell you difficult things. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for this because I love you. See, we're talking about not just checking a box that says, oh, I'm not judgmental. We're actually called into a relationship of walking in the kingdom, which is far more intimate. It's not just about you. It's about walking in community with other people whom you love and whom you care for and who you say, I'm willing to lay down and walk with you through anything, anything. 
when we sit in judgment, it pushes that away. And that poison starts to, to creep in, which kills community. It kills walking with other people. It makes me fearful to step in with other people. It makes me not want to lean into those relationships because what will they think and what will they say? Instead, what we're called to is each and every one of us, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation and you are called to walk in this ministry of reconciliation. And then we get to this, we get to verse six. Jesus immediately shifting from don't judge, you have this crazy log in your eyes and to verse six, which says there are dogs and there are pigs and there are pearls and all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, this is really jarring. This is extremely jarring. And yet it's not, it's not a contradiction. And we have to hold those things in tension. We have to, to hold those and recognize it is jarring. And this is a very tough word. And yet it is not a contradiction. And what we have here is Jesus making a very clear statement to people who are following after him, following after him. It's important for us to recognize that it's, e it's easy to come to this as an allegory. If you, if you were in like sixth grade English in Oklahoma, I think you probably read uh, Animal Farm and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but they've got like 500 things they told me are happening. And we read these things or we read uh, The Lord of the Rings or we read all these books and we're like, that's an allegory. And so this person is this and that's that and this means that. And there's like all these things. And if we come to this verse, reading it and thinking that this is an allegory, then we're like, what are pigs and what are dogs and pearls and all of these things? Instead, this is a parable. Jesus told a ton of parables. And a parable is a simple story with a simple message that is like, yeah, I get that. I get that. Don't get in the weeds. And so read it with me. Verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus has been speaking to these people who are, are not perfect. They're not like the A-list uh, uh, of all these people. They're just normal people. They're normal people that most of them did not make the cut. They didn't get chosen for any squad other than Jesus' squad. And so we don't need to read this and think, man, these are the super spiritual people. It's not. They're just normal folks. And Jesus says, hey, here's this. And he's talking to them about kingdom life. And then we get to here to verse 6, and we see this. And it's pretty straightforward as a parable. It's pretty straightforward. What do pigs want? What do pigs want? What will they always want? They want slop. They want feed. They just want to be fed. They will never value a pearl. It will not happen. What do dogs want? Very little more. It's not much more than the pig wants, except occasionally it wants its belly scratched. Wants behind the ear, wants its belly, wants to be fed, and then we have a happy life right there. We've got all those things. What does a pig want? Here is the message of this parable. There are people out there that are not going to receive this message. They can't understand it. They can't. They're unable to. And we could go right to John 6 and look at this, but it's not understandable of this beautiful price that Jesus has paid. There are people that don't understand it. 
What we're being called to is first and foremost to recognize a need of a savior. See, Jesus is not calling people names in this verse. He's not calling you a name. He's not calling anyone in here, you're a pig and you're a pig and you're this and you're that. He's not calling you names. He's calling all of us out. He's calling all of us out in need of a savior who first and foremost can take this log out of our eyes. Now, throughout every day of my life, I continually recognize, I'm having to fight to recognize, God, I have a log today. I have this log in my life, in my eyes and stuff. But before any of that happens, before I can even recognize it, God has to do something. God has to do something. We're not supposed to be people who cast judgment. We're not supposed to be the people walking in judgment. And we're also not to be Christians or people who just walk around like Oprah and say, you're saved and you're saved and you're saved and you're saved. It's not our job. It's not our job to say that these people are hopeless and it's not our job to say, hey, everything's fine when it's not fine. When they desperately need a savior. Verse six is telling us that until God changes someone's heart, they can't possibly understand. They can't understand how beautiful the treasure is. They can't understand any of it until Jesus takes this plank from our eyes, until Jesus uh, takes this sin that we live under from us. We can't possibly try to be people who aren't judgmental. Until Jesus comes and rescues us, the best we can do is to walk in religion, and that is poison. It's poison. You see, Jesus doesn't just come and say, hey, you've got something in your eye. I'm going to clean you up, and you're a better person. No, Jesus comes, and he takes this log sticking out of our face, and he nails himself to it. And he takes our shame and he takes our sin, and he takes all of our brokenness, and he takes all of our baggage, and all the stuff that we would hide if we were trying to be religious and just clean ourselves up, and he takes every bit of it onto himself. And he says, now follow me. Follow me. And what we see in this passage is a generous God who comes to us. He said, and he says, don't try to be God. Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't try to find everything in everybody else. And also don't let everyone off the hook. There are hard conversations to be had. But this generous God who drew us near gives us this ministry to do the same. When we come to this, we recognize that there are always only two paths. There's only two. There's the religion that tries to sit in judgment of everyone else. There's the religion that tries to clean ourselves up. There's the religion that just says, man, if I just check enough things off my box, then I will be okay. And the reality is, you're not okay. Cain brought the best that he could offer, the best that he could gather, the best that he could clean it up, the best that he could present it, and it was never gonna be okay. 
And all, everything that we try to do boils down to whether we're trying to clean ourselves up or we're coming like Abel with the sacrifice that says, Jesus, I desperately need you. I desperately need you because I can't clean myself up. And my only hope is that there's a sacrifice and that you've done it. I want you to stand with me. As we step into this and we try to figure out how to apply it to our lives, there may be people that you need to go to today. Some of those faces that came to mind. There may be some people that you need to go to. One of those may be just coming to Jesus for the first time and not trying to present yourself as something beautiful, but as something real. And so if you would, if you feel comfortable, just hold your hands out. I, I want to pray. I want to pray for, for us. Us being people who struggle to be judgmental, which is really just a revealer of our hearts that need Jesus. And I want to pray for us that we would be people who aren't trying to walk in religion, who aren't trying to clean ourselves up, who are not covered in polish so you don't see the warts on my life or the sin in my heart, that, that we would be people who lay that aside for God, the Redeemer, to do what only he can do. And to work in our hearts.